Would you pray with me? Almighty God, may our hearts be filled with your message as we seek the redemption and inspiration that only you can offer us. Amen. A reason to hope in times of fear. Many people consider this a, a very difficult period in history. Not only for those who just happen to live in regions of conflict like Ukraine, Syria, and North Africa, Gaza, and Yemen, but for all of humanity. Here in the United States, there are concerns about global warming, deep political divisions, energy costs, inflation, and the lingering pandemic. Granted, we understand that much of what we hear about is amplified by media that makes its money on capturing our attention. But the issues of our time are truly challenging. The pervasive nature of the difficulties we face have created a heightened sense of anxiety among diverse groups. Young people are worried about the ecological disasters that they will inherit. Young adults have difficulty paying for their college tuition and their student loans. And elderly people are on fixed incomes are threatened by the increased inflation. I sometimes feel like the world as we know it is going down the tubes. How do we cope in times like this? When faced with difficult problems, I've found it useful to look at back at what others have done when they had similar situations they had to deal with. The scope of problems that we face may be unique, but there are several times in history when people faced seemingly unbearable circumstances. I mean, the societies of the past may not have had to deal with the threat of global nuclear war as they were trying to recover from a global pandemic. But there have been many times in history when communities faced severe threats and cultures had been annihilated. The Israelites, for example, had been conquered many times and their temple had been destroyed more than once. They've been enslaved and driven out of their homeland, yet they were able to eventually recover and restore their nation each time. Throughout their history, they've had periods when they distanced themselves from God, but they always came back with a renewed faith. Our passage today, Psalm 27, lends insight to how the ancient Israelites handled their challenging times. It reflects a tension between the experiences of life that sow seeds of doubt and a deep conviction that God will provide safety. It starts with a profession of faith that leads into a prayer, followed by another profession of faith that culminates into an exhortation or an appeal to be faithful. In the first three verses, the author expresses great confidence in his or her ability to rely on God. The psalmist proclaims they fear no one because the Lord is their light and salvation, the stronghold of their life. The psalmist announces with certitude that violent enemies who come against them will fail because God is watching, ready to offer protection at all times. There's no need to worry when enemies encamp against them or declare war on them because God can be relied upon to provide protection 
or protect them from harm from anyone. At this point in the psalm, safety is not being sought. It's assumed to be already given. The one thing desired by the psalmist is to be in the presence of God, to live in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's the one place in the world where the psalmist wants to be. We don't know if they're already there or they're wishing that they were there, but the temple is seen as a refuge from all the conflict that they're experiencing. The temple is described as a shelter, a rock, and a tent. It's a place where the psalmist can get away from the trouble that they're experiencing and hide under the protection of the Lord. Within the confines of God's temple, the psalmist will gladly offer sacrifices with shouts and joyful songs. Next, the psalmist turns to prayer. It's within the prayer that we begin to see hints of insecurity. The psalmist's demand to be heard when he or she cries aloud and to receive God's grace when requested leaves the impression that they were not always being heard. The psalmist goes on to tell the Lord not to hide his face from them. Don't turn away in anger. Don't cast them off. Do not forsake them. The psalmist must have felt these things. They must have been happening to them or he wouldn't or she wouldn't have brought them up. It's as if the certitude and the Lord's protection that was expressed before was not really that sincere. Perhaps the beginning statements were more of a desire than a reality in the psalmist's life. Maybe the psalmist held the belief that a person who devotes himself or herself to, the, to God will receive God's protection from their enemies. And they were facing insurmountable enemies that they couldn't defend on their own. So they were petitioning to God for help by portraying themselves as a devoted follower of God. There's a tension here between what was hoped for and what was being experienced. On the one hand, the psalmist proclaims his understanding that those who seek the face of the Lord will be saved when he writes, come, my heart says, seek his face. And the psalmist declares God to be the God of his salvation. But on the other hand, the reality of his situation is such that he still feels threatened. The pleas from the psalmist sound desperate, as though he asks God not to give him up to the will of his adversaries and to lead him on a level path because his adversaries are breathing out violence. Despite the profession of faith at the beginning of the psalm, there is no need to fear. There are clearly statements of insecurity expressed in the prayer, which sounds like there actually is fear. After the prayer, there's another profession of faith, albeit a more tempered statement. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unlike the forceful declarations at the beginning of the psalm, this is a more personal statement of belief Within a few, a few short verses, the mood has shifted from dramatic certitude of unequivocal protection to expressions of fear and a doubt to a personal statement of faith. 
that the goodness of the Lord will be seen in the land of the living. In conclusion of the psalm, the final verse gives a call to action based on this journey of faith. Wait for the Lord. Have patience in holding doubt and faith together because experience teaches us that trusting in God does not grant us a life free from pain or loss. But the goodness of the Lord will become apparent eventually in every situation. It's only through faith that we can find the path to the goodness of God that we desperately seek. If we don't have faith, faith that we can be saved, faith that there is goodness in the world, or faith that God will ultimately prevail, we will never see those opportunities in our midst that are ripe for bearing the fruits of the Spirit. We read in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark how Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth to preach and to offer healing. But his gifts were not accepted. The people of his hometown knew him as the son of Joseph the carpenter and, and of Mary, and they couldn't see him as the son of God. Consequently, he wasn't able to do any deeds of power there except heal a few sick people. The author of Mark tells us that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief and suggested that it was this lack of faith in his abilities that prevented him from doing more in his hometown. It seemed to imply that the gifts from God could not manifest if there was no expectation that could possibly happen. Even when confronted with the news of his works and other work and in the other towns and his apparent wisdom, which astounded them, the people of Nazareth were unable to imagine the wonderful things that this carpenter's son could accomplish. Immediately prior to this visit to Nazareth, Jesus had performed an amazing miracle in a different town. Jesus was asked to heal the daughter of a synagogue leader named Jairus. But along the way, some people from Jairus' home came out to let Jesus and Jairus know that the little girl had already died, so there was no reason to waste the master's time. But Jesus took Jairus aside and said to him, Do not fear, only believe. Jesus took with him just a few devout disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they went with Jairus back to his home. And when they got there, people were weeping and wailing loudly. Jesus told them to stop making such a commotion because the child wasn't dead, she was only sleeping. But they didn't believe him. So Jesus put everyone outside except the child's parents and led them into the, little, to the room where the little girl was lying. Jesus took her hand and told her to get up. The little girl opened her eyes and started walking around. Of course, the parents were amazed, but a key feature of this story was the instruction that Jesus gave to Jairus at the moment of his greatest doubt. When told that his daughter was already dead, Jesus said to him, do not fear only believe. Such faith is not really easy to come by. I mean, in a similar situation, a man had brought his son to Jesus, 
for a healing. But Jesus was not there because he was away at a remote location. So the man asked Jesus' disciples who were there to help to heal his son. The disciples were not able to heal the boy. So the crowd started arguing with the disciples. Eventually, Jesus returned and asked them what was going on. The boy's father explained how the child was suffering, and he asked Jesus for help, saying, If you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus replied, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Sound familiar? This is quite similar to the message we get from Psalm 27. I believe. Help my unbelief. And it's probably been echoed by many people here, probably more than once. Like the psalmist, we learn over time how to balance the tension between doubt and faith as we experience the trials of life. We may not get everything we ask for from God, and we may experience more difficulties than we would like, but it's still important to patiently look for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There may be times when this task seems nearly impossible, when we're confronted with tragedy after tragedy. And when that happens, when we feel devoid of all hope, we still have the option of going to God and pleading, help my unbelief and save me from the enemies of this life who are encamped against me. By remembering that God has the final say and God does hear us, we can recognize those opportunities that God makes available for us to experience the power of Christ in this life, in our own life. It allows us to live as though the Lord is our light and salvation, which is crucial to our ability to cope in the times of deep crisis. Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The way we see the world matters. And evolving and abiding faith gives us hope in the darkest of times. It evolves in that it weighs the challenges of real life with the promises of God, leading us to a deeper understanding of the goodness of God that endures and perseveres with a wisdom that is sometimes difficult to fathom. Yes, we know that life will be hard at times, but we also know deep in our soul that God is with us, guiding us through those hard times and giving us a reason to hope in our times of fear. So I urge you this morning to be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen.